If you like music's greatest mysteries, you've got to check out Dan Rather's The Big Interview for some incredible true stories from the biggest names in music. Check out the podcast sometime. Music has always challenged the mainstream. Oftentimes, changing the notion of what defines pop culture. On this episode of Music's Greatest Mysteries, a combination of decadence and drug abuse ultimately kills punk legend Sid Vicious. But is someone else responsible for his death? Also, is KISS a pure rock band, or are they the ultimate rock brand? And then, is Banksy's secret identity a famous musician? In the late 70s, punk music emerges as a counter to the more flashy and synthy sounds of the disco era. Leading the charge is the British band The Sex Pistols and their self-destructive bass player. People are always captivated by dark figures. We're always obsessed with a human's downfall. Even the name is romanticized forever. The name is Sid Vicious a star-crossed soul whose life sadly mirrors his title and whose death remains shrouded with intrigue. Sid Vicious is actually born John Simon Ritchie in Southeast London, a quiet child raised by a troubled single mother. People that knew him said he was actually a fairly shy, sort of like introverted character, but he had a mother that was very outspoken and very loud. She grew up sort of an ex-hippie, free spirit type, and an addict, and if anybody was a crazy one in, in Sid's family, it was his mom. So you have Sid Vicious, this sort of tragic figure. His personality wasn't strong enough to stand up for himself. So Sid saw in punk a way to break out of his shell. Sid breaks out with the punk band, the Sex Pistols. When he joins the group in 1977, they hit the scene and blow up. To the shock of an older generation, these London kids define the emerging punk genre as dirty, crass, and in-your-face rock and roll. The Sex Pistols hit the scene like an atom bomb. I mean, uh, whether you loved it or hated it, it made an impression. It was a return to rock and roll. They were talented not only playing punk music, but being completely outrageous with their political statements, their lyrical stance, and their frontman Johnny Rotten, and his sidekick, Sid Vicious. Sid wasn't in the band for that long. He could, you know, by all reports, barely play, but he kind of embodied looks-wise and attitude-wise what people think the Sex Pistols were about. Anarchy, this live fast, die young like a poster person for punk rock. He's arguably the most famous member of the Sex Pistols. The naturally shy Vicious finds coping with his newfound fame difficult. And in order to deal with the pressure, turns to drugs, following in his addicted mother's footsteps. At the same time, another influential woman enters his sphere, a college dropout named Nancy Spungen. The Sid and Nancy story is a... Uh you know, punk rock, Romeo and Juliet. I think they generally felt love for each other, but it was a crazy, strange love that was not good for either one of them. 
she liked to fight she liked to mix it up so you've got her as a combustion agent in an already combustive band and then you add heroin to the equation he didn't have a shot sid and nancy became famous in the sort of gossip tabloids because of antics with getting arrested and problems with drugs and that was the end of the sex pistols Already a bizarre mixture of unhinged personalities, the band is virtually doomed by the volatile pairing of Sid and Nancy. Soon after the power couple hook up, the Sex Pistols break up. Sid and Nancy retreat into a drug-riddled lifestyle while living out of New York's Chelsea Hotel. After a party on October 12, 1978, Sid wakes up to a horrifying scene. He woke up the next morning and went into the bathroom and found blood everywhere. His knife that he had kept hung up on a wall was in the bathroom as well. And Nancy dead. But who is responsible for Nancy's death? We'll never know exactly what happened. You could make a case that she did it herself. You could make a case that it was a drug deal that went awry. You can make a case that it was an, a crime of passion. I believe that Sid might have not remembered doing it. I don't believe that Sid killed Nancy. Sid had taken a handful of tuinols, uh, downers, essentially, and most will agree that Sid was just out of it that night. He was passed out. You know, I think there's shady characters coming in and out of the room that night, and Nancy woke up or found somebody trying to steal stuff from them. and violence ensued. Nancy's death begins a downward spiral for the punk icon. He's now a suspected murderer and will soon become a victim himself. After Nancy died, he was the suspect. Sid got arrested. And there's always been talk of a suicide pact they had. There's only two people that know what really happened. Sid was in the room with her that night. Coming up on Music's Greatest Mysteries, questions remain as the murder case of Nancy unfolds and Sid's life spirals out of control. There's a theory. She knew what she was doing when she gave him the drugs. And later, the legend of Kiss. Are they a band or a brand? We wanted to become rich and famous, and we're rich and famous. Sid Vicious, the notorious bass player of the Sex Pistols, is charged with the murder of his girlfriend, Nancy Spungen. Stunningly, he is allowed to post bail. But on the outside, a dangerously dismantled Sid soon explodes. He's arrested for assault and sent to Rikers Island. Imagine withdrawing from heroin at Rikers Island. It sounds like a hell that I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. That sounds just absolutely nightmarish. But is there something more brewing? Is Sid trying to sabotage his own life? Is he trying to honor a suicide pact to his fallen girlfriend? Rumors abound that Sid tries to kill himself. In a TV interview, he offers this glimpse into his fragile psyche. Where would you like to be? Under the ground. Regardless of his condition, and after two months of sobriety, Sid is released from prison. As a welcome home present, his mother, the addict, throws him a party. 
When he got out, Sid was asking his mom for some money to buy heroin. Sid's mom was a, an addict herself, but I think she loved her son in her own way. Now, you put him in a situation where he's with his mom or other drug addicts, and they're supposed to be babysitting him. I mean, it's just a, a terrible situation. What happens at the party has been the subject of speculation for over 40 years. The story I always heard, he was at a party, his mom gave him the drugs that he shot up with and died. There's a theory she knew what she was doing when she gave him the drugs. Maybe she thought she was doing the right thing. Was it a mercy killing, you know? Did she do it on purpose because her 21-year-old son wasn't going to be able to handle prison? Was it a suicide pact? This is one of these things we're never going to have a clear answer to because he's gone and, and she's gone. Over the next several years, Sid's mother, Ann Beverly, tells conflicting stories, once admitting to giving her son the heroin that killed him, other times denying it and claiming she found a note in her son's pocket revealing the suicide pact with Nancy. Reading, we had a death pact, and I had to keep my half of the bargain. In 1996, Ann Beverly, too, dies of a drug overdose, taking the real answer to her grave. We'll never know exactly what happened. I just think it's fascinating that we're Sid Vicious, whose time in the pop culture spotlight was really, really brief, that we're still talking about him more than 40 years later. Sid's never convicted of Nancy's murder, and to this day, the mystery over Sid's own passing lingers. Did he OD, honor a suicide pact, or was Sid Vicious murdered by his own mother? There aren't many groups that can match the success of KISS. 100 million records sold, numerous world tours, and enshrinement in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. We wanted to become rich and famous, and we're rich and famous. But one question always surrounds KISS. What comes first, the band or the brand? Before the makeup, the merchandise, and the arena tours, KISS dreams of making it as a pure rock and roll band. But that idea quickly changes. Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons had a band uh, before KISS called Wicked Lester. They actually had a record deal with Epic, made a record. It's like orchestral pop. They made that record and decided, this is not what we want to do. We want to be the band that we never saw on stage. We're going to paint our faces. It's going to be a spectacle. Early on, Gene was trying to develop this evil character. So he was saying things like, I like to taste a human flesh. Here from Kiss is Gene Simmons. There's a Mike Douglas appearance. Gene was in character, and he's, you know, says things in a weird voice, like your audience looks appetized. Appetized. You know, Bill Coyne, who was their first manager, really was a marketing genius as well. Before KISS, no one shot confetti into the air, and no one had this just ridiculous fog, this proper lighting, and the fire, and the explosions. This band with, like, smoke and a guy breathing fire. Gene Simmons had that look. He was flicking his tongue around. He spit blood. It seemed evil. Even as KISS is becoming one of the biggest bands in the world, the question lingers. Is this legitimate rock and roll or a circus act. 
We feel sorry for our critics because we feel that they're jealous. They wish they could lead this kind of lifestyle. That's being able to be who you are on stage as a fantasy figure. Kiss is unrepentant and embraces an aggressive marketing campaign, earning the band hundreds of millions of dollars on top of touring fees. There is nobody that is as good at marketing as Gene Simmons and Kiss. Last time I checked, Kiss is not a charity. If you can sell it, Kiss will sell it to you. We control all the merchandise, everything that's put out. We license companies to use our name. You want a Kiss mask? Sure. You want Kiss makeup? Absolutely. Kiss Your Face makeup has all the equipment you need with makeup diagrams so you can look like Gene, look like Paul, look like Peter, or look like Ace. Let's make lunch boxes. They were Kiss bubblegum cards, just like baseball cards. Gene Simmons' tongue was insured by Lloyd's of London. Kiss, each 12 and a half inch figure sold separately. Kiss bikinis, Kiss urns, Kiss crematoriums. The Kiss jacket made of the miracle space fabric. And then there was the famous comic book. When they printed those, each member of the band put a little bit of blood into the ink. You were thinking that their blood is running through the pages that you're running your fingers over. It all plays into the lore and the, and the mystique of what Kiss is. But does that lore become an albatross for the band? By the early 80s, their record sales are plummeting, tour dates diminishing. Kiss is facing a potentially disastrous end. The band is just really falling apart. I think they saw that you know, the times are changing. Is the band going to break up? It was a whole kind of drama going on. Until the members of Kiss contemplate one more gimmick. Coming up, will KISS actually reveal their own identities to save the band and the brand? They had all sorts of people in their ear saying, maybe we should take off the makeup. And later, is the legendary artist Banksy actually a famous musician? After years of successfully marketing the KISS brand, the band's star begins to dim in the early 1980s. Because of the toys and the marketing, the audience started to become younger and younger. Their popularity just waned because they kind of became a kiddie band. I'm just coming here because of their show, not because of their music. They had all sorts of people in their ear saying, Maybe we should take off the makeup. Maybe we should do this a little different way. Fearful of becoming a caricature niche band, KISS invents a radical new marketing ploy. They spread the rumor that they will publicly reveal their true identities. KISS has managed to keep their legacy going for so long because of the mystery that is KISS. Nobody knew who they were. They weren't photographed even out to dinner without napkins over their faces. You couldn't get pictures of these guys, and suddenly the masks are off. In 1983, on a live made-for-TV event broadcast on MTV, KISS unmasks themselves. Shortly after, they release a new album, Lick It Up, and a new audience does just that, catapulting KISS back to the spotlight. KISS is really good at getting back in your awareness. People were losing their minds because KISS was unmasked. But the reveal doesn't last. The band, realizing they need to make another change before the novelty wears off, 
reverses course in 1996 and puts the makeup back on. In full comeback mode, they power their way into a new century where they remain one of our most beloved and branded acts ever. Besides all the imagery and the marketing, they really did make an impact on music. If you look at bands like Poison, even Van Halen, they did a lot of the things that KISS did. KISS was more than a circus act because uh, the music has held up. You can listen to a KISS record and enjoy it without all the extra stuff to look at. So I think the music has held up well. KISS has generated more merchandise revenue than any band in the history of music and Stanley and Simmons plan to eventually replace themselves with new musicians, guaranteeing KISS, the band, and brand will live on forever. For more than 20 years, the enigmatic pop artist Banksy has pushed the boundaries of graffiti art, reaching the status of famous painters like Andy Warhol and Jackson Pollock. Yet for all his fame, his actual identity remains shrouded in mystery. But what if the answer to the Banksy riddle resides in the music industry. So there have been rumors from the very, very beginning that Jamie Hewlett is Banksy. If you've been paying attention to popular music over the last 20 years, you would know that Jamie Hewlett is half of Gorillaz, the other half being Damon Albarn from the Britpop band Blur. While Damon Albarn creates the music for Gorillaz, the band members are cartoon characters drawn by the artist, Jamie Hewlett. Is Banksy another one of Hewlett's characters? Jamie Hewlett used Banksy's art in one of the Gorillaz videos. He, without a doubt, not only knows who Banksy is, and the idea has been floated that he himself could be Banksy, Jay Hewlett is associated with everything that Banksy's been doing. Banksy's got these connections to companies that are owned by Jamie Hewlett. So as far as I'm concerned, if he's not Banksy, then he knows who Banksy is. But Jamie isn't the only person rumored to be Banksy. There's others, like Robert from Massive Attack. The trip-hop band Massive Attack hails from Bristol, the same town that Banksy's art starts appearing in in the late 90s. Could the band have a connection to the elusive artist? There's an interview with Banksy that was done on ITV, and the whole thing is this guy's eyebrows. His face is covered, but he has these eyebrows that look just like Robert Elnaya's eyebrows. Similar facial features aside, fans have noticed that wherever Massive Attack plays, a Banksy is soon to follow. There is a story that Robert Del Naya was doing some art for a skate shop in London. And as his Banksy popularity began to grow, that he handed it off to a friend named Robin Gunningham. Robin Gunningham, another Bristol-based street artist, has been spotted at multiple Banksy events, including Banksy's most famous secret display, the shredding of Girl with Balloon at Sotheby's in 2018. Banksy's been tied to both Gorilla's Jamie Hewlett and also Massive Attack's Robert Del Naya. But does a publicity stunt in 2018 accidentally reveal Banksy's true identity? Banksy's street cred went through the ceiling with this event that took place, Girl with Balloon, sold for a million and a half dollars. 
as soon as the person got a hold of the artwork, it self-destructed. In an Instagram video uploaded by Banksy, onlookers are shocked by the sight of a painting just sold at one and a half million dollars being destroyed before their eyes. Clearly, Banksy was there. This photograph of Robin Gunningham taking a video with his cell phone and getting an image of the shredding as it's taking place. And the video that was posted shot from the angle where Robin Gunningham was standing. Even if Robin Gunningham isn't Banksy, he and Banksy are definitely friends, and they're absolutely punking all of us. No one has fessed up to being Banksy. The fly-by-night guerrilla graffiti artist remains elusive, yet still breaking the boundaries of the art world, and quite possibly, the music world. Like the story of Sid Vicious, still riddled with questions, and Kiss continuing to blur the lines of truth and transaction, all three of these tales are a part of music's greatest mysteries. Thank you for joining us for Music's Greatest Mysteries, where we investigate the legendary mysteries surrounding the biggest names in music. Now remember, if you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Also, go ahead and leave us a review and don't keep the show a secret. Tell a friend. <laughs>